Uh, let's uh, start our lesson in Romans 8, 28-30, and uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Uh, we'll be primarily dealing with uh, 8, 20-30, and just to be honest with you, I've got 10 pages of notes on this, so I have to, in my mind, consolidate as I go. We're ta- handling the, uh, well, we're in our regeneration study. We're talking about regeneration, and uh, we are currently to the section where we are talking about the order of salvation, or as the Latin term calls it, ordo salutis. If you ever hear that term, it just means order of salvation. Um, let's begin in um, Romans 8. Um, this is some call the golden chain of salvation. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 1 Corinthians 6 and 11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All right. So in our discussion on the um, the, the uh, idea of regeneration thus far, we've mainly dealt with um, the creation of the world. We've dealt with uh, sin and its origins. We've dealt with uh, Adam's fall in that sin, how that uh, God gave him everything and that uh, he had one commandment for him, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, the resulting fall is that uh, Adam fell into sin. He died spiritually. In other words, he has no more relationship with Christ or God. He he is uh, cast out of the garden He is radically and totally depraved. In other words, sin has affected him completely. And uh, he also pursues after sin. And as a result of Adam's sin and Eve's sin in the garden, because we all have our uh, origins in them as them being our original parents. um, Man, I am nervous. Um, He, uh, we all fall to him. Fall under sin. We fall under sin. Um, being born from our mother's womb, we come forth speaking lies. It is in our nature, and we also pursue after it willingly. We love sin. Um, our whole entire being is characterized by sinfulness. Um, we are dead, we are depraved, and we are unable to do anything to come to God. So in light of these things which we have talked about, the men have talked about over the past few weeks, and I think we've done a very good job, um, we are looking at um, how we are saved and the process of the things that God does in saving us. Um, The order of salvation is a logical order. Um, In other words... um, God, when he sets about to save a man or woman, he has a certain process by which he does these things. 
Sometimes we make the mistake of it being uh, the idea of it being temporal, as if God uh, does one thing and does thing much later in time. Then down the line, He does something else at a later time. Uh, we can get kind of hung up on that. It's more about the logic of the way things happen. Because as if you've been saved by the grace of God, you know, like me, it felt very instantaneous when it happened, right? Um, and there may be some timeline there. But uh, the uh, I know that when I was saved, um, I uh, heard the gospel preached to me. And uh, for a while, I struggled with the reality of whether I was a good child or not. Then one night when I was a kid, um, I felt that weight crush me. And then um, somewhere in the process of praying in my parents' floor, God did all of this right here. And it would be very um, easy for me to get hung up on the experiential side of the matter um, and, and negate the fact that in God's saving me, all of these things happened. So in Romans 28 30, it says that we know for that, the, for that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Election, the first thing in the Ordo Salutis or Order of Salvation is um, an act of God before creation in which he, God, chooses people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. God, before the foundation of the world, chooses men and women to salvation, doesn't he? And some in this temporal argument try to make the claim that his foreknowing of them is simply an idea that God simply looks ahead in the course of time, down the corridors of time, and uh, sees those who will exercise faith and repentance. I think because God is eternal, that can't be the case because if God simply looks ahead in the time, I think because God is eternal, he exists differently in space and time and outside of time compared to us, that uh, his whole reality is different. If, he was, if that were the case, then he would somehow be subservient to the very thing which he constructed. So it's an intimate knowing. He foreknows us. Um, I, I should have asked somebody to do it. Someone look up Psalm 139 because, and read that chapter for me. and Because uh, I think it is important for us to understand the type of foreknowledge we see here. The whole chapter, Devin? Yes, or... Yes. And I don't have a lot of time, so try and... <laughs> I'm not to put pressure on you, Brendan, but I can do that to you. Because <laughs> you're in my butt. <laughs> oh, Lord, have, have, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. 
or hem me in before and before before and behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wing, the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. Your darkness is as light as you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intrinsically uh, woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were in your book were written even one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am with and I am still with you. Oh that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and take my heart. Take me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous ways in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. All right, so I read all that to say, that uh, God's foreknowledge of us is not one of a merely knowing uh, the identity of an individual ahead in time uh, as an abstract person who will exercise faith in and of themselves in Christ. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is that God knows us intimately as individuals before we are created, when we are being sown in our uh, mother's womb, and um, when we are born into this world. He knows Every hair on your head knows exactly who you are and knows you intimately. And according to his purposes and not for any merit in your own selves, because remember, as we've talked about, we are dead. We are unrighteous. We are sinful. We are completely incapable. Um, God chooses us according to his own purpose and will. Ephesians uh, 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So, this uh, predestination, uh, in this predestination, having foreknown us, he predestines us to be conformed to the image of his son according to his own will and not because of any good or personal merit 
in you because there is none. God uh, has predestined us to a particular end. So the elect are chosen to be conformed to the image of Christ. The second point, a calling, I have the term effectual up here. Now we get into um, existence and into yours and mine existence. Some take this calling and, and lead heavily into the gospel call from the preached word of Jesus Christ, which is uh, part of it, right? Um, there's an external calling when we preach the word of God. And, God. and the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God uses the means of the proclaimed word of God, the preaching of the word of God, uh, in order to spread the message to those that are his elect so that they might be saved in the here and now. Um, but the Bible also says that in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. So in spite of this outward call and this preaching, there still has to be an internal drawing that you and I cannot affect in the hearts of men. I preached for a long time in a, a different Baptist denomination and uh, I put so much weight in myself at the beginning of that ministry that if I didn't exert a certain amount of energy, if I didn't preach in a certain way that pleaded with people, and if I didn't pour every bit of my emotion into it, if I didn't strain and cry over it, then people wouldn't come to Christ. So, And, and while it is true that how will they come if they don't hear the gospel, there was a wrongful emphasis on me as an individual, as a preacher. But there is rest in knowing and, and comfort in knowing that if I preach the gospel, if we preach the gospel well, then it is God who will do the saving work in a man or woman's heart. God draws men and women unto him. In um, There's also the idea that I grew up with that um, whenever... Uh, the gospel was preached if no one came to the altar or no one came to whatever sort of evangelistic methodology that a church uses, then they are resisting the grace of God. So there's a misunderstanding here. We have to understand that when we're dead in our trespasses in sin, as has already been talked about by all the, the men who have spoken prior, we are always resistant to God. We are always against God in our lostness, in our total radical depravity. We follow the desires of our own heart rather than the things of God, and we cannot come to Him. But when God means to save an individual, okay, I didn't need that. When God means to save an individual, and so apply His grace to the heart of a lost individual. He draws them unto Himself and applies that grace and He does so perfectly every time. When God moves to save an individual, an individual there's no power that individual can exert 
to otherwise resist him in the process of God bringing him to saving faith. Notice, um, notice this uh, golden chain here again. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Or wait, let me go back. Uh, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Notice for one thing, he speaks about the whole of this process as though it's already completed. It is that secure. Two, all whom he predestines, whom he chooses to um, conform to the image of his son, he calls. There is no resistance. All whom he calls, he justifies. All those who he justifies, he sanctifies. All who he sanctifies, he glorifies. So when God calls somebody, he calls somebody, doesn't he? And he does it right. So God's calling is an effectual calling or an effective calling. When he calls It does exactly what he means it to. Now we uh, get to regeneration, the thing we've been talking about, uh, being born again. The act of God where he brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life. This act of God gives us the ability to respond Got a typo. in faith to God. 1 John 5 and 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born. Man, I did a bad job of coffee and pasting. Hold on. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves... Someone look up uh, John 5 and 1 for me since I messed up the writing of that. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Oh, I did it right. I'm just a bad breeder. <laughs> this is, oh man, I told someone earlier, I'm nervous as a chicken in a nugget factory today. <laughs> Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God. So, if you are a believer, you have been born of God. We've already talked about Nicodemus, the whole thing where, you know, he tells him, you must be born again. And he says, who can enter back into his mother's womb a second time? And uh, we think about Lazarus, 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 Lazarus in that effect. Oh, man, Lazarus, um, when Jesus had already known that Lazarus was dead and Jesus calls Lazarus forth, first of all, 
I don't believe for a second that Lazarus was just a little bit alive clawing to the front of the cave. I, I believe he was dead and his, uh, his uh, people said, you know, he probably stinks by now. That's how we are. And then Lazarus comes forth to new life. That's what he does in our hearts. He takes a dead thing. And as um, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 says, he takes out a dead heart and puts in a heart of flesh, one that is alive, one that feels him, one that knows him. Like uh, Lydia in Acts 16, 14, it tells us there, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to the preaching of the gospel. He made her alive so that she could receive the word of God and repent and believe. Colossians 2.13 says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So God takes us who are dead in our trespasses and sin and makes us alive. Regeneration. And then he converts us. Now conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of our sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. Faith, trust or dependence on God based on the fact that we take him at his word and believe what he said. Saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. Repentance, a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and the sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. So, Romans 10, 17, as we've already mentioned, says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Then Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, having been regenerated, God does a work in us where he changes our will, our want to, from one who pursues after sin, who pursues after evil, to one that desires Christ. And this is all of God as well, because it is by grace, undeserved favor, through faith. A former pastor of mine, I've told him here before, used to like to parse those two up and say that the grace is the part that God does and the faith is the part that you do. And yes, we exercise faith, but in his emphasis, it was that the idea that faith up here must precede regeneration. But the problem with that idea is that faith preceding regeneration is a work. And is impossible. It is a hopeless gospel to say that a man must exercise a faith when he's already been told in the Bible that he is completely incapable of doing so. But God 
makes us alive. Through his undeserved favor, he gifts us faith. After that, he makes us alive so that we can exercise said faith with the help of the Holy Spirit so that we repent and believe on what the Bible says of Christ, on Jesus Christ, for the remission of our sins. Gifted faith is the creative act of God. The whole point of regeneration is the change of the will by God so that we respond willingly to God in faith and repentance. That's uh, Sproul. He says it better than I do. Um, In the moment we place our trust in Jesus Christ, all our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. I used to struggle with that too. Uh, That's an aside, but, uh, you know, you get saved and you think you got so much, but then you must take over from there and do the very best that you can so God stays pleased with you. As we'll see in a moment, it's not based in anything I do that God is pleased with me. We are justified. We receive justification after that. We are converted, that we have repented and believed. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he, one, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and two, declares us to be righteous in his sight. Now, here's a, here's a thing that blew my mind at first, that in spite of everything we said, we are justified somehow by good works. But the caveat there is it's not our works, is it? Romans 3, 21 through 26 says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the time, present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, our redemption is in Jesus Christ and he is a propitiation for us by blood. Uh, for years in the Old Testament they used to sacrifice animals um, as a symbol of uh, what was to come, whether they fully understood it or not. They go in there and uh, sacrifice a spotless animal, a lamb, and uh, place their hands upon it. The blood would be drained and uh, the uh, high priest would go in there and pray for, um, for the sins of Israel. That pointed to what Christ did. And in order to make himself a perfect sacrifice, the second Adam did what the first could not. He lived this life and obeyed perfectly all of the law. He was perfect from the time he was a child, blameless all the way up till his crucifixion. There he died. He was crucified by wicked men. And all of us are responsible for that because we are all sinners. Then he died. He was buried and he rose again after three days. He spent time with his apostles and he ascended into the heavens. And I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a minute. Hopefully I'm going to have to try and really (laughs) manage my time. Um, 
But he was perfect, a perfectly obedient son to his father. Then God saw that sacrifice, poured his wrath upon Jesus Christ, and Jesus received the punishment that his elect deserved. And in turn, we have that blood placed upon us that when God looks upon your heart and my heart, those that are saved, he sees not anything that we have done, but the righteousness of his dear son. And he gives us the Holy Spirit in earnest. So the righteousness we have is alien. It is imputed to us. He adopts us into his family, takes enemies and makes us members of his family so that, as Romans tells us, he may be the firstborn among many brothers. Those many brothers, are those kinfolk are you and I, having been adopted into his family and receiving all the benefits of being a son of God. First, uh, Ephesians 1, 5 through 6 says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Romans eight fifteen tells us we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. That uh, going on, he then sanctifies us. He sets you aside. And be, thus begins this lifelong process through which the old habit of sin or indwelling sin is progressively weakened and the new nature given by virtue of regeneration is progressively strengthened. Now, when we talk about progressive sanctification, we have to take care to understand that some interpret the idea of progression as always getting better. And it doesn't always feel like that, does it? Uh, often, our life looks more like, I'm probably not the first to ever do this, this. Then way up here, and way down, then way up. Having his obedience accounted to us, we are free to obey the law of God, not out of fear of God's punishment if we don't, but out of love for him. We do no, not do so to earn greater righteousness or holiness. The righteousness we have is Christ's imputed righteousness. We obey because we have already been reckoned righteous. God Holy Spirit, God, His Holy Spirit indwells us. And thus begins this idea, um, I'm not going to read for sake of time, but you are familiar with Romans 7, 14 through 25. Paul there is talking about his experience. And he says, in a nutshell, I want to do good. But when I try to do good, evil is present with me. Though, though we have Christ's imputed righteousness, we're not yet fully saved. We are regenerated. We've been gifted all these things. 
instantaneously begins this long, lifelong warfare in our hearts between the new man, what God has placed there, and the old man, so that he describes a struggle that goes on in our hearts. And people get so caught up in the struggle sometimes that they wonder, are they really saved? Am I really saved? Yet the care for the, the word of God, the love for God is there. And there's, a, there's this warfare. And if I could uh, sum it up real quickly, I would say that that warfare that goes on in your heart, if it is there, is a proof of your saveness, of your regenerateness. Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So we struggle with sin, but we are no longer enslaved to it. Uh, God places this desire in our heart to pursue the things of God. And this comfort here says, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So um, he encourages us to continue obeying. Um, and he tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. This means that we are to engage ourselves in uh, the things that accompany our salvation. We are to employ ourselves in, uh, in pursuing Christ. And understand that as you go through this life, you are not doing it alone, but it is God in you, working in you, to have the desire, the want to, and the, giving you the ability to do his good pleasure. We are free to serve God. The power of sin is broken so that sanctification and transformation can necessarily begin. The habit of sin will remain with us until we die or our Lord returns. God has begun the work of sanctification and he will complete it. Our sanctification, as much as anything, depends on God. Yes, there, there, there are people who talk about it being synergistic and all the stuff that God works and man works, but ultimately, however you want to parse that out, it's all of God as much as anything else. And so going forward, I've got 15 minutes. We persevere. John 10, 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Uh, quick uh, side note: Whenever I was ordained in our uh, in our process at uh, my old church, rather than it being a elder thing, though an elder may help you, you ultimately study to be ordained, and then you are set in a chair in front of an entire congregation. I think mine was two hundred something people. And the one question I missed was not because I didn't know it, but because uh, up to that point I had. So thoroughly answered, and so my uh, my um, interrogator uh, Jerry had uh, threw out a, me a scripture memorization question that I wasn't ready for. I, he said, "Name me a verse of scripture that talks about our perseverance." And I had been so theological in my answers that I forgot to just memorize scripture uh, 
thoroughly. And so he got a gotcha on me. I was up there going, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but it was this verse. Um, we persevere. And Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So we are given the spirit in earnest uh, of our future hope. And we've talked about that before. I don't have time to get into that. And God gives us eternal life. And he says, no one, absolutely no one can snatch my sheep out of my hand. And then I've already talked about Philippians 1, 6. Perseverance is the doctrine that those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will preserve, persevere as uh, Christians until the end of their lives and that only those who per uh, persevere until the end have been truly born again. So, I'm not going to read these next two verses, but I'll mention some things. We don't really have a way of fully speaking the, the inside of the person, right? And sometimes we're surprised when people leave the faith and never come back, and it turns out they're apostate. And But all those that are truly saved um, cannot be plucked from God. In other words, up to this point, if we've proved anything, I hope, it's that in Christ, in God, your salvation from beginning to end, as we're fixing to see, is completely secure in Him. No matter how well you perform one day versus the next, how emotionally up you may be day, how down one day, how down you might be another, how hard might be life might be, how good life might be. If God has saved you, you are 100% secure in him because our God is perfect, isn't he? So in spite of all these things, oh, uh, here's, here's one more thing. Jesus Christ is up in heaven, interceding on your behalf, behalf even now. I've got 12 minutes. So, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Jesus Christ, when he died, he resurrected. After a time, he ascended into glory, bodily, into the Holy of Holies. You remember back uh, in uh, when he was crucified, the veil of the temple was rent in two pieces. Well, you know how Hebrews talks about Jesus Christ as our great high priest, as well as a prophet and a king. He is up there even now, being the sacrifice and the high priest, simultaneously, continuously praying for you, bridging the gap between Devin's shoulders, between all of y'all, and God, the Father, praying for us, Keeping us preserved. Moving on. Uh, because of sin, we still have the body of this death, and we have to um, exist with that. We have warfare, though we are preserved. Eventually, this body wears out, and we die. But then, glorification. Uh, the final step in the application of redemption it will happen when Christ returns and raises uh, from the dead the bodies of all believers 
for all time who have died and reunites them with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain, thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like their own. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the uh, clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Uh, Romans 8, 23-24, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we, await, we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? For this hope we were saved. This hope right here. We come to faith in Christ only by God's working. We go through this life uh, growing in Christ, struggling, having warfare, proclaiming the gospel um, as we struggle not only with ourselves but the world around us. Others come to faith. Uh, God keeps us, perseveres us, and we have this hope that we will get to experience the full reality of being in the family of God when we are glorified and are with God in heaven forevermore in a new heaven, in a new earth where righteousness dwells. Our sanctification is completed by God. We are made perfect. We have a new glorified body and you and I get to dwell with our Savior forever in heaven. That's a lot to say in an hour and I have eight minutes left. Praise God. <laughs> and I know so many of you here could say it better because we are blessed with a, an abundance of wonderful, knowledgeable men and women. I'm thankful that God even gives me these little opportunities. But uh, I'm really thankful that my God's... church is so that this this reality is so much about who I'll see in heaven who has died and who has who is not here anymore and will I get a cool cabin or a mansion or see what those golden streets look like if those are literal but I get to be with Jesus that's why that Thessalonian passage says and we will forever be with the Lord we're going to be caught up saints who've gone before us and the saints who are alive now will be caught up into the heavens into the, the clouds with them but that's not the point the point is and we will forever be with the Lord. Lord amen thank you that's a wonderful way to cap this off 
I love you, and I hope this is a reality for you. Um, I'm not. I don't. I'm not trying to just be mushy. That's kind of a natural part of my character, but um, I love God, and I know that's not because of me. And I, I want this church to shine its light to the world. I want us to hold on to these realities and and not only rest but pursue after holiness. Like that resting doesn't mean that we stop and do nothing. That means that we we are free to serve the God that we love. And I pray that we serve the God that we love, that we find the pastor that he means for us, that this church thrives and prospers, and not in the ways that men think, but in the ways that God deems important. And I hope that all of these realities in the Bible just grab hold of your, your heart as often as you think of them and uh, comfort you. Because it gets hard uh, trying to uh, just do life. It gets really hard. And sometimes things don't always feel like they should. But you have all this. And in God, it is assured. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the many blessings you've given us. Thank you for our church, for your son who died on the cross for our sins. Thank you just for everything, God. I pray that people hear the gospel today and be saved. I know you're doing all of your purposes. You're working them in this life. We just have to obey and trust in you. All these things we ask in your name. Amen. Amen.